If you are a Christian coach, speaker, or influencer, this is the right place. You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for biblical encouragement, spirit-led wisdom, and practical ideas as you answer God's calling to increase your authority by becoming an author. I'm Nika Maples, and I can help you write your next book so that you can take your business to the next level while advancing the kingdom and transforming people in Jesus' name. Our freshman year in college, our university has this variety show kind of where you have like every spring, it's called Sing Song and and groups of people like the freshman class, the sophomore class, the junior and senior class or clubs, you know, a girls club and boys club make a chorus. Different choruses have costumes and unique lyrics and unique hand motions and they compete. And in the end, all you get is the title that you won for that year. But it's a fun thing that we all participate in. And then my freshman year, we decided to be fish, you know, because we were freshmen. And this one friend of ours, he went to the planning meeting for this. And they said, every chorus has to be 100 people, by the way, 100. So they were like, well, we need someone to make the costumes for the freshman class. And um, my friend Brian said, I volunteer Nika. She knows how to sew. My friend Nika will do it. And they just put me down. And then he came and he told me, well, I just signed you up to make all the freshman class costumes. And I was like, okay. I said, yes. Part of me really wanted to do that. Part of me thought it might be a little too much for me. I mean, this is my freshman year in college. I do have some other things I need to be paying attention to. But I accepted the role of seamstress and costume designer for 100 freshmen. Well, it wasn't long before I knew that I was out of my depth, way out of my depth. I realized that making a costume and making that many costumes was too much for me, but I went ahead with it anyway. And I did the only thing I could think of to do. And here's the thing, I didn't even ask for help. I mean, I can't think of anyone who helped me. And I think it's because I never asked. I never asked for help. So I made these costumes that were, it was just basically a pillowcase. I basically could have just bought pillowcases, but I just made these, some were blue, some were green. And then for the fish hat head, and the fish tail, I cut poster boards. So a hundred people had these little, very basic pillowcases that they wore <laughs> and then poster board heads and poster board tails. And I mean, I sewed all those and I cut out all those poster boards and everyone, as soon as I revealed, here's your costumes, it was a failure because everyone was like, are you kidding me? We're competing in these. <laughs> like we're we're not gonna we're gonna lose. But you know what? The failure gets worse because guess what? The director of that whole scene, every every club or every group has to have a director and they're supposed to have an extra special costume. So this person in the front was our class director and I had to make her a shark costume. Well I wanted to put a little oomph into it. So I made her a gray pillowcase instead <laughs> instead of a blue or a green one. And then her head, instead of cutting it out of poster board, I actually bought some foam. I cut it out of foam. I glued it together. So the back of it is gray and it has that thin, but I had to create that big black mouth. So I didn't ask for help. I already knew I had failed with the hundred costumes that everyone was embarrassed by and said they hated. 
And I, I was like, but I can, I can redeem myself. I can redeem myself. I'm making a really awesome shark costume. And the only thing I could think of to use to make, I had tried to use Sharpie or like paint and it didn't work on this foam. So I got India ink, like black India ink that you do calligraphy with. And I poured it. Well, here's the thing. Everybody knows that a stamp pad is just foam and India ink and it doesn't dry. That's the whole point of a stamp pad. It's still wet every time you use it. So what I had basically made was this big, a giant stamp pad and the girl put it on and got black India ink all over her face. And she had to do a performance, like five or six performances. So we wrapped her head in saran wrap. You can see it poking out, wrapped her head in saran wrap and ink got all over everybody. The whole time, got all over her, even though her little head's wrapped in saran wrapped. And guess who was responsible for that? Bearing on the stage in front of all of our university, a hundred people looking terrible in really pitiful costumes, India ink everywhere. That was only one person's failure, mine. And to this day, 30 years later, people still laugh about it. And I laugh too, because it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I say that to say failure is survivable. Failure is survivable. Write it down. Failure is survivable. But I want to tell you that in 1992, it did not feel survivable. I cried and cried and cried. It was like, I'll never get over this. This was such a terrible mistake. It's ridiculous. But at the time it was so, it was like the most painful thing. And then now we can laugh about it. Part of the reason I can laugh about it is because my relationship with failure has changed. And I've had some failures now that are a lot more serious than this and a lot more difficult than this. And even now, I maybe can't laugh about them, but I certainly have learned from them. So now I've got tears of joy. We take things so seriously at the time. And then we're like, we can laugh about it. And it makes a good story later. So John 16, says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Failure feels like a lot of trouble. What if you just substitute the word failure right there and memorize this verse even with the word failure in it? In this world, you will have failure. But take heart. I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have failure. But take heart. I've overcome the world. It's uncomfortable. That's all failure is, is uncomfortable. It's your mistake being on a display. In my case, on a stage. And when your mistake is on a stage, if your mistake is on display for one or 10 or a hundred, it always hurts. But in this world, you will have failure. Take heart. He has overcome the world. I would say that most of our life, really, our life is 50% comfortable circumstances, 50% uncomfortable circumstances. Now, we want to think that it's a different percentage. Like, give me another pie chart, Lord. I'd be willing to go 80-20, 80% comfortable circumstances, 20% uncomfortable circumstances. But I don't know about you. I've never had that percentage. For me, it's pretty consistently been about 50-50. We start to realize like discomfort's just part of it. Just discomfort's just part of being alive. We have discomfort about every aspect of our lives so often. And failure is just part of that discomfort. In fact, Failure is very, very important in bringing us more comfort. See, what we do when we feel in uncomfortable circumstances, we try to hurry up and get out of it. We're like, hurry up and get out of it. Hurry up and get out of it. 
I read a book this last week that, oh, it was like painful. This book is painful. I couldn't even put it down. I loved it so much. It was so edifying to my faith, but also it was terrible. It was about this Chinese Christian who had been persecuted in China his whole life. And he only just now escapes China in 2002. So this wasn't like old news. This was like up into the 2000s and all these things, this persecution and martyrdom is happening in China. And he said, I always look forward, like he built Chinese churches and like hundreds of thousands of people saved in the underground church and so much persecution and so much torture that he went through. That's what I mean. Like it was a painful book to read. But he said, when I realized God was saying, it's time for you to leave China. He's the most, he was at the time in 2002, the most wanted fugitive in China and only for sharing the gospel. But he escaped from prison. So he's the most wanted fugitive in China. And he said, the Lord said, your time evangelizing China is finished. Now it's time for you to go elsewhere in the world. So he said, when I, when I left and I escaped, I was kind of excited about seeing Western churches in Europe, in Canada, in the United States. He goes, I thought for sure they must be just on fire. And then he said, I was shocked. I started, I visited church after church. And I was like, where's the Holy Spirit fire? Where, Where is it? He said, everybody's just kind of like, no. Nobody realizes they have access to Holy Spirit fire. He said, the underground church in China is alive. There is so much power from the Holy Spirit there because we need him. Y'all don't even need him. So he doesn't display anything you need. He said, all you Western people have insurance. We don't have insurance in China in the underground church. And you have insurance for your car, for your home, for your health, for your life. So all of you know that's plan A. If something goes wrong, I'm going to check the insurance. And then if it doesn't come through, then I'll go to God. He's like, the Chinese church has Holy Spirit fire because we don't have insurance. If something goes wrong, we go to God. He goes, but you have insurance because you like comfort. He said, here's the thing. Chinese Christians don't pray to get out of prison. They don't pray that. They don't pray for the torture to stop. They don't pray that. He said, we pray that God will be glorified through it. So the biggest difference between Western and Eastern churches under persecution is, he said, Western churches pray to get out of discomfort constantly. They're constantly praying to get out of discomfort and to avoid it. When Chinese churches accept, hey, we're in discomfort. That's where God shows up. We're not praying that he goes away. We're praying that he be glorified through it. He said it so often ends faster that way, but you're in discomfort longer because you want to get out of it. Okay, well, that's like a convicting word, isn't it? It's just a convicting word. It was to me. And I realized it's like, I'm not, none of us need to be praying for persecution, praying for torture, but the very least we could do is stop praying to get out of ordinary discomforts. The very least we could do is say, Lord, be glorified through it and let the Holy Spirit fire show up here where I'm willing to be uncomfortable. So instead of fleeing to comfortable circumstances, just stay where you are for a minute, recognizing, okay, failure is part of my life. It's part of the process. It's part of what Jesus promised when he said, in this life, you will have trouble. I'm not going to say something different than what Jesus says. Jesus said we would have trouble. Okay. So he said, Stay in trouble for a while, but take heart when you're in it that I've overcome the world. The whole thing, the whole pie chart, Jesus has it all in his hand. So if he's got it all, then you're in his hand, no matter whether you're in comfort or discomfort. Failure represents discomfort. But here's the interesting thing to ask yourself. What is the net effect of comfort and discomfort? What is the net effect 
so often you will find when you look back over uncomfortable situations that the net effect of discomfort is actually good for you. With Jesus, discomfort will have a positive net effect. I don't want to go back through some of the medical crises that I've had in my life. That was discomfort, definitely discomfort. However, it had a positive net effect because I saw the church comfort and love on me. I saw God show up in faithful ways that I can't explain. I experienced a peace that passes understanding. I know so many of you personally, and I know you've been through medical crises and financial burdens and problems in family, painful, painful, painful family problems. All of these things may feel like a failure and they definitely feel like discomfort. But what is the net effect? The man who wrote the book I just read about the Chinese church says that the net effect of persecution is that we have hundreds of millions of Christians. It has exploded the Chinese church. He said, now we did a survey. We tried to collect how many Chinese people would be willing to be missionaries to the Middle East. And they said, we collected, it was over 100,000 names. 100,000 Chinese people would be willing and volunteer to be missionaries to the Middle East. And you know why he said, why they said? They said, it has to be us. It has to be us because we're the only ones that are willing to face what's possible there. Americans would never go. Europeans would never go. But the Chinese church has been so strengthened and so discipled through the pain and the discomfort they've been through that they said, it's no big deal to go to the Middle East. We're not even afraid of it. It has to be us. We'll be the missionaries. They believe that the positive net effect of their years of discomfort was worth it. So we have to say, okay, so if life is 50% comfort and 50% discomfort, are we willing to experience discomfort from time to time? The discomfort of failure will have a positive net effect with Jesus. Are you willing to believe it? Are you willing to believe that instead of thinking that it's painful, we just think it's painful and it will have a positive net effect. Instead of just thinking that it's a stumbling block and hard for us to get over, we think sometimes it's uncomfortable and it will have a positive net effect. Instead of thinking that it means you did something wrong. What if you just believe it's 50% of life? It's just, I didn't do anything wrong. It's 50% of life. So many thoughts are available to us when we ask, what is the net effect? Because the net effect of comfort is often negative. So the net effect of discomfort is often positive. And the net effect of staying in comfort, never trying something new, never risking anything, sometimes that feels good in the moment, but it has a negative net effect, meaning in the end. So a little bit more about what do I mean about the net effect? You might be saying like, okay, like explain it a little bit more. Okay. So here's what happens. Let's say I'm in an uncomfortable circumstance in that I'm like, I don't want to say no to, it would be comfortable for me to sit here on this couch and scroll on my phone right now, instead of getting up and maybe just doing some stretches or doing a little bit of movement. Doesn't have to be a full-on workout, but like just even a little bit of movement feels uncomfortable right now. I don't want to be in discomfort right now. Or I could go to Taco Bell or Chick-fil-A, but I got the spinach and the salad. I can make a salad here, but Chick-fil-A, 
And it's like the discomfort of not really wanting the thing that's right there. That's so real to me. But but besides, oh, well, Chick-fil-A, I can talk myself into kind of thinking that's healthy. And it's like, that's comfort for me to go and make a quick decision like that. To make the quick decision of staying on my couch and scrolling a little longer, make the quick decision of going to Chick-fil-A instead of just eating what I had purposed to eat that was already there. If I went with the better decision, it would put me in uncomfort and an uncomfortable circumstance. It would put me in discomfort. It would say, like, I don't want to spend the time making that food. I don't want to get sweaty right now. I don't want any of that. It's discomfort. So what we do is we we try to run to comfortable circumstances, but we always overshoot because it creates more uncomfortable circumstances. So this is what I mean by it. The negative net effect of sitting on our couches another day, the negative net, it feels very comfortable in the moment, but it has a negative net effect. Sitting on our couches another day, not metabolizing pain another day. Chick-fil-A, that's fine, except how often I choose an extra, like another Starbucks or another Chick-fil-A or another, it feels comfortable in the moment. And then pretty soon after, it's like, why did I do that? I feel worse. So it's like there's the color that I use for the discomfort is also on the other side. We buffer, we buffer. It's like, you know, when your your computer is like thinking, 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 buffering, thinking, 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 instead of like, get to it, get to it. I gave you a command. I clicked on a thing or I opened a thing. Get to it. Quit buffering. Like the rainbow wheel of death. And you're like, do it, do something. What are you waiting for? We get so mad at our computers. We're like, and that's buffering. It's like buffering. We're still trying to stream, still trying to do this. And it's like frustrating. That's what we do though with discomfort. It's like, okay, I could get right to it. Just get to it. Get to the results I want. You have to get up off the couch and do a little something with your body. Move it somehow. If you want to get to the results, get to it. But we're like, no, I'll just buffer a little bit longer. I'll just wait. I'll just sit down one more day. One more day after that. One more day after that. The spinning wheel. And it's like, get to it already. Why are we trying to run to comfort? We always end up in more discomfort because our bodies are not going to be better for having waited again. Our bodies are not going to be better for having gone again for relief to a fast food joint or to a coffee shop. So we create more than 50% uncomfortable circumstances when we buffer. When we wait to actualize the results that we want, we create more than 50% discomfort. Jesus said, all you really have to have is 50%. Like, take heart, there will be trouble in this world. But we're like, oh, I'll just create more trouble for myself by postponing all the solutions that you give me. God's giving us those solutions, but we're so afraid of failing which is inevitable that we're like, we, we postpone. Buffering, that waiting and waiting and waiting, is, it's choosing comfort. Buffering, waiting, waiting, it's trying to avoid discomfort, trying to avoid failing. And it's actually choosing the kind of comfort that creates more discomfort, except that the discomfort you create there will have a negative net effect. We must all suffer one of two things. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Are you subscribed to my YouTube channel yet? 
I love creating weekly lessons that will bring value and insight to you on your writing, publishing, and book marketing journey. When you listen to my podcast, you learn through your ears. But when you watch my YouTube channel, you learn through your eyes and your ears, making double the impact in half the time. See you over on YouTube.